Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. The Steelers have been struck by COVID. But let's be honest, there's a bit of irony floating around when it comes to this. Vance McDonald and Ben Roethlisberger were among the most outspoken when COVID hit Tennessee. Ben has never stopped complaining about the Steelers pretty much losing their bye week. And so, okay, now Ben gets a bye week. Ben isn't upset about not practicing all week, believe you me. Heck, Ben doesn't practice much as it is. And now you've got the Mason Rudolph element. What if Mason Rudolph has to play? This is truly what's best for business. Mason Rudolph got on the field at Dallas, let's not forget. He executed a drive that lost two yards on four plays and set up a 59-yard field goal. Mason Rudolph is ready. He showed it Sunday at Dallas. Mason Rudolph is ready. And let's assume Ben can play on Sunday at home against Cincinnati. Ben will come racing out that tunnel like a real-life Rambo. He beat COVID. His bum knees have been miraculously healed by Jeebus. Somebody in Pittsburgh say something about getting fired up. This is what Ben loves the drama. He sprints out of intensive care and throws for 400 yards. And if Ben can't play and Pittsburgh loses and are not perfect, they got their excuse. Mason Rudolph. This is win-win even if the Steelers lose. This is the Mark Madden Show. Okay, now the Steelers are the COVID team. You thought Tennessee should forfeit. What about now? 412-333-WXDX is the number to call to go one-on-one with the great one. Or you can at me via Twitter, at Mark Madden X. You remember, don't you? The Tennessee game got rescheduled. The Steelers pretty much lost their bye week. Vance McDonald was like, how can their problem become our problem? And ever since then, Ben Roethlisberger has complained about the bye week. Alludes to it all the time, especially before they played Baltimore. He kept talking about, well, this was supposed to be our bye week. They came off the bye just now, yada, yada. And now Vince McDonald's the COVID guy, and Ben's on the COVID list. Look, nobody's going to die from this. So I will not descend into panic. But the Steelers did screw the pooch on this. The Steelers made a bad decision. When Vance McDonald was sick on Friday, he had cold-like symptoms. Vance McDonald should have been sent home, and he should have been left off the plane to Dallas. The Steelers were not safe, and now they're sorry. To be very blunt, it is 
inexcusable on their part. I just don't know how you let a sick guy practice and get on the plane and then he sits right next to the quarterback. That's even more stupid than not kicking that field goal at Dallas. Part of me would like to see Mason Rudolph play. Could the Steelers stay undefeated with Mason Rudolph at quarterback by beating Cincinnati? That's a great storyline. Tell me that wouldn't be awesome to watch, to talk about between now and then, and to talk about after. Now, Tomlin said today that he will play the COVID guys even if they don't practice all week. And for the record, the COVID guys are Vance McDonald got it, and the close contacts are Ben, Vince Williams, Jalen Samuels, and Gerald Hawkins. Uh, those four players, and obviously McDonald, are on the COVID list. Uh, they have to test okay all week, and then they could practice Saturday and play Sunday, but Saturday's just a walkthrough. That said, Tomlin said uh, specifically that Ben and Williams will play if they're cleared by testing. Uh, Tomlin also said that Alualu, Hilton, and Watt, Derek Watt, have a chance to play on Sunday. But getting back to the COVID, all meetings this week for the Steelers will be virtual and weightlifting will be rotated so as to avoid a crowd in the weight room. The only time the whole team will be together will be during practice, and that's minus the five COVID guys. Tomlin said the team has done an awesome job, his words, awesome job with the COVID protocol. Uh, Yeah, until you let the guy with COVID practice and get on the plane and then play and then potentially infect the quarterback, even though he showed up for work sick Friday. And then four other guys, including the star quarterback, they went on the COVID list. Up till then, the team did an awesome job. Tomlin justified letting McDonald on the plane because he didn't show signs of COVID, and he tested okay. Okay, I get it. But McDonald was sick, and you got to play it safe. you got to err on the side of caution. Not sending him home, putting him on that plane, letting him play, those are all bad decisions. Obviously, look at what happened. And yes, the Steelers did follow the NFL's protocol, and look at what happened. Play it safe. you got to play it safe. Tomlin did say masks are worn on team flights 100% of the time, which I just do not believe. Here's a quote from Tomlin today that reflects what a, a BS artist he is with the media. What he likes about Joe Burrow is, the Cincy quarterback, what he likes is, quote, the most impressive thing has been his charisma, his moxie, his competitive spirit, unquote. Yeah, his moxie. I bet at the Steelers' defense meetings, the first thing the players get told is, watch out for Joe Burrow's moxie. I bet when Cincinnati breaks the huddle, the Steelers' defense yells, this guy has charisma, we better be careful. For heck's sake. Thomas should be glad about the COVID issue. It's made everybody forget he blundered by not kicking that field goal to go ahead by eight. And I watched the tape of the game. I always watch Steeler games two times. And yeah, Dallas spotted something with the Steelers' kick protection and got penetration. But the Steelers made two kicks anyway. Two for four. Not great, but you kick that field goal. Period. I'm assuming the Steelers fix things this week. 
Danny Smith and his special teams got all kinds of praise last week, and then everything went to hell at Dallas. 412-333-WXDX. The Foo Fighters are doing a streaming concert. Of course they are. It's 15 bucks a shot. Of course it is. It's the easy way out. It's still lucrative. We may never see live music again. Not on a big scale anyway. Uh, New England had a rally to beat the New York Jets at the death last night. New England does stink. And Stephen A. Smith was babbling how Cam Newton shouldn't have signed there. But part of the problem at New England is that Cam Newton is washed up. The national football media thinks that guys like Cam Newton, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, yeah, Ben too, are going to be good forever and won't admit it when they go splat. In New England, Cam Newton has gone splat. If Cam Newton hadn't signed with New England, though, he would be unemployed. So when Stephen A. says he should have gone somewhere else, there was nowhere else to go. Belichick gambled on Cam, and he lost. He should play Stidham now, but... I see where the Patriots have soured on Stidham. They feel Stidham didn't compete hard enough for the quarterback job. The Masters is this week. I hope it snows. I bet Tiger wins. Tiger's the greatest. He's going to win, and he's going to catch Jack Nicklaus. Hey, it's November. It gets dark earlier. They might need flashlights to finish playing. I bet Tiger would use a flashlight. Pat Narduzzi, the pit coach, quote-unquote, he talked about Notre Dame staying in the ACC after this season, which is thought to be a one-shot deal because of COVID. Narduzzi said, quote, if you want to play in the ACC, come play in the ACC. And if you don't want to play, let's not give Notre Dame five games. Let them go play BYU or whoever else they want to play, unquote, which is kind of a shot at BYU, who is 7-0, right number eight, and would beat Pitt by 30. And it's obviously a shot at Notre Dame, which beat Pitt by 42 last month, but I digress. Narduzzi is right, kind of. I'll get into that later. Mike DeCourcy's going to join me at 3.30 from the Sporting News to talk about it. But I have to say Narduzzi is right, kind of. Ain't nothing going to change because of Notre Dame's separate TV deal, but I did some looking around, and it seems to me that the ACC teams each get more from their TV deal than Notre Dame gets from its TV deal. So DeCourcy can shed some light on that when he joins me at 3.30. We got Stan at 4.30 and Jeremy Fowler of ESPN at 5.30. It's the Mark Madden Show on 105.9 X. This report is sponsored by Panera Bread. A bit heavy on the Parkway East outbound from Oakland to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. No other major problems on the parkways at the moment. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Vince McDonald caught COVID. It's about time he caught something. The Bengals have only 11 sacks all year, so their pass rush is socially distancing. These are the jokes, people. Uh, the Bengals tweeted out 
an old video of TJ Hushmanzada, their uh, former wide receiver, wiping his cleats off with a terrible towel. With the caption reading, it's Pittsburgh week. Okay. I think the game where Hushmanzada did that was a playoff game and the Steelers won it. Stuff like that is insignificant insofar as after that video got posted, a billion people retweeted saying, this gives the Steelers all the motivation they need. Well, I would have bet that being 8-0 and having a legitimate shot to win the Super Bowl would provide all the motivation they need as opposed to the video of a guy wiping his shoes with a bar rag. But, uh, if you want to get mad, go ahead, because that's the national sport now in this once great nation. It's getting mad. Uh, Kabali uh, wrote an article at The Athletic about how the COVID situation may test his rule of if you don't practice, you don't play. He already said that if Roethlisberger and Vince Williams are clear, they're going to play. I mean... I don't care what your quote-unquote rule is. If you don't practice, you don't play. If those two don't practice but can play, they're going to be on the field Sunday against Cincinnati, no question. I want to get back to that Narduzzi thing with Notre Dame, where Narduzzi said that if Notre Dame doesn't want to join the ACC for keep, that uh, the ACC shouldn't give them five football games. And Arduzzi's right, kind of, but Notre Dame has that separate TV deal with NBC, but the ACC got a good TV deal, too, and now it's so network, and I've read reports that ACC schools get more from TV than Notre Dame does. But Notre Dame loves being independent because that way they can pick their own schedule and try to finagle their way to the playoff because the playoff wants Notre Dame to make it. It's more lucrative if Notre Dame makes it. Notre Dame just has to hand the playoff geeks a reason. They just have to come close and they get in. Now, the ACC does bend over backwards for Notre Dame, but that loose affiliation benefits the ACC. It does. How many Pitt games are you really interested in watching? But I bet you watch Pitt get killed by Notre Dame. And when Notre Dame comes to Pittsburgh, Heinz Field sells out. You know a potential problem for the ACC, perception-wise, PR-wise? If Notre Dame wins the conference championship game this year and then leaves the conference, that devalues the ACC moving forward. Notre Dame comes in for one year, wins, and then leaves. And then all the teams that didn't win, all the teams that lost, are left behind to keep playing. And next year, whoever plays that conference championship game People are going to say, well, lucky for them, Notre Dame didn't play this year. 412-333-WXDX. Let's go to Patience. Patience, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Great. Hey, did you see um, Tomlin's uh, follow-up answer to Pursuta's question at the post-game uh, press conference after the game on Sunday? I did not. Why? Refresh my memory. Okay, I have it pulled up right here. Uh, Pursuta posed him with a question on why he didn't attempt the uh, field goal on fourth and one. Tomlin, in quotes, said, we struggled so much with our field goal group early in the game 
I just didn't feel good about it, offered Tomlin. They were beating us to the punch for the better part of the day. Yeah, on I, I know that he said words to that effect. What's your point? Well, he admitted pretty much what I talked about yesterday, that uh, they didn't game. They weren't, they, the, the coaching staff wasn't prepared. He says we got outcoached. I just think he needs to hold uh, the special teams coach and all the coaching staff accountable during the The special the teams had done great all season until the kick protection failed at Dallas. So I don't know what you mean by hold them accountable. Do you mean fire, flog, take out behind the barn and shoot? I have no idea. But special teams did real good up until kick protection at Dallas. And I want to revisit what Cavalli said on this program. He thinks that Tomlin was uh, lying when he said that. He thinks that's not why Tomlin eschewed the field goal. He thinks it's because Tomlin just figured, we're tough, we can get a yard, we'll go straight ahead, or as it turned out, off tackle left, and then we wrap up the game. And then he, you know, blamed something else for a bad decision made by him. Cabaldi said that, and I tend to agree. 412-333-WXDX. Uh, by the way, this from Jeremy Fowler, who joins me at 530. He notes that the Steelers are on pace for 64 sacks, which would lead the league once again. This would be the eighth time in franchise history the Steelers would lead the NFL in sacks. No other team has done it more than five times. And the Steelers have led uh, the last three years in sacks, or tied. And that's the first time that had been done since Oakland from 66 through 68. That's what they're going to talk about with Fowler. Why are the Steelers so good at that, at, at, at rushing the passer, getting sacks? Is it personnel? Is it scheme? Is it priorities? What do you sacrifice to do that? Actually, this year, not much, because they're doing everything on defense except getting off the field on third down, which is a pretty big exception. Okay, up next... We talk with Mike DeCourcy, the Sporting News, here on 1059DX. Hey, it's almost time for the holidays, and we want to see if we can make them a little bit better. So we want to help you pay your bills. Listen every weekday on the hour from 7 to... Ha, I think I'm the coolest guy, period, but what's up? DX at 105.9. Notre Dame beat Clemson. Notre Dame's in the ACC for now, but not for long, and never really. Joining me now to discuss, he is the columnist for the Sporting News... Pittsburgh's own Mike DeCourcy. Mike, uh, in a typical year, not this one, obviously, but in a typical year, who makes more money? The average ACC school from its TV deal with ESPN or Notre Dame from its TV deal with NBC? I believe the answer to that is Notre Dame. Uh, they they do very well on their own. I, I don't think that the gap is what it was prior to the conference expansion evolution in the earlier part of this decade when live sports became such a, a huge deal for for uh, those uh, television networks as as cable started to change and so you, you started with the Pac-12 and Fox and then escalated with the Big 10 uh, that led the ACC to expand by bringing in Pitt and subsequently Louisville and Syracuse at the same time as Pitt and all that uh, and so they, they do better relative to Notre Dame than they once did. But I, Notre Dame is still very happy and secure in its circumstance as an independent. There, there, is a, there is a group of very powerful people 
at ND or around ND that don't want them to be in a conference for football. They've, they've made that clear on a number of occasions. They, they were invited to join the Big East, excuse me, the Big Ten, uh, back in the day, or they never became formal, but there were discussions. Uh, they were discussed as a potential, uh, they could have saved the Big East if they had joined for football. They could have dictated their terms if they wanted. They would, they would have done, they could have also kept their NBC deal. Big East would have said, yeah, we'll, you keep it. We'll play on your network and ours. That'd be great. Um, they, they could, they could have done that and they've always rejected it. So one football coach in one segment of the ACC complaining, I don't think that's going to change much. Well, no, especially not Pat Narduzzi, who nobody cares about. <laughs> but, but, but why is Notre Dame so adamant about, about never joining a football conference? You, you describe some of the pros and cons, and, and I just feel like it would have happened by now. Uh, what good does the independent schedule do them besides, obviously, Mike, that they can pick it? It's this historic allegiance. This is what we've always done. It's, it, it's this... Uh, it's this mentality that is stuck in 1965, 1966, uh, that thinks that that's the way to go, and any change to that would be an error. That's it's as simple as that. It, because they would have been, as I said, in the Big East, they could have they could have saved the Big East as it was had they gone in as a football member. You would never have had, you know, with 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 Notre Dame as a football member coming into each team stadium every couple of years. Uh, and again, like I said, they could have played six games. They could have played seven games, still played SC, Navy, and all those teams. But they, they have this, there's this, there's this group of people and, and they, re- they retain great power and they just have no interest in Notre Dame being anything but an independent in football. And, and honestly, they want Notre Dame to win the other sports, but that's not even a factor. I mean, they don't care, uh, about the, the, the people that are in power, uh, that are keeping Notre Dame independent. Uh, they don't even care about the other sports. They care about ND football, and they are not changing their minds about that, no matter what the the the, the current market conditions or, or how difficult it is to build a schedule or whatever it might be. Uh, they have no interest. Why does the ACC let Notre Dame be, uh, for football, the equivalency of a partial member? What's to be gained by the ACC? Uh, that's a simple answer. You get Notre Dame in your stadium – Every few years, and then it's a little bit longer than it would have been if they had been a member of Big East football. But you still get them. I mean, Pitts had them; uh, they they had them as recently as a couple of years ago. And, and when you know, and Pitts attendance has has been problematic forever since I was a teenager. Uh, even you know, back in the days when I was in high school at Elizabeth Forward, uh, you used to be able to go to my junior. You used to be able to go to a game for two bucks. Uh, as a student, because they use it as a recruiting tool for local high school students. I got to see Tony Dorsett play almost every game in his senior year for a couple of, you know, I think all, my, 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 with a few free tickets and those two buck tickets, I think I, my, my total outlay for seeing five or six of his home, final year's home games was like $12. They've always had attendance issues. And so, uh, you get Notre Dame in your stadium and you got an instant 68,000. Whether it's your fans, their fans, or whoever, you get to sell the tickets and keep the money. Were you surprised Notre Dame beat Clemson, and can Notre Dame do it again in the ACC final? Well, you know, I, I thought one of the interesting things about that is that is how well the freshmen played in the absence of Trevor Lawrence. So, to an extent, would it have been better? Obviously, if you have a veteran quarterback who's won national championships, would you be better? Sure, but they produced 
uh, on the field uh, offensively. They produced with him, uh, so and without Trevor. So uh, I think that you can say that going into the, the, the likely championship game, that Notre Dame knows that it can pl- they can score against Clemson, and they 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 aren't sure they can stop Clemson's offense, but they know they can play what I call playing basketball. You know, you you try you trade baskets up and down the field, and then you have to get the big stop. That's kind of the way the Big 12 plays it all the time. And I don't think Notre Dame can go into a championship game feeling they can stop Clemson, but they can go into it knowing they can score on Clemson's D as well. We're talking to Mike the course at the Sporting News here on 105.9 The X. Mike, if Notre Dame plays one year in the ACC, wins it, and then leaves, doesn't that devalue the ACC moving forward? Well, I think that the ACC as a football conference has sort of become, uh, you know, Clemson and the other guys anyway. So I, I, I think I don't think it changes it. It just means that there's one other team out there that, in its best, can can compete with them. And I, I, I think that we've seen that when Notre Dame reaches its peak, and it's probably done that. It probably does it about every three years or so now. It do, isn't able to sustain the level of excellence that an Ohio State or uh, or Clemson or Alabama is able to sustain, but. They've been able to, to peak about every three to four years and, and really put out a championship-caliber squad. And so I, I don't think that them being able to do that says anything about ACC football that hasn't really already been made clear by the last decade or so since, uh, since Dabo Swinney really got it going at, Cle- at Clemson, uh, since the, uh, the integration of Louisville, Pitt, and Syracuse. It, it's a it's a it's it's basically a good football league with a great team, and of course, if Florida State is, was ever to get its A game back, it might be a good football league with two great teams. But we're a long way off from that now. How do you rate the way college football has navigated the pandemic, Mike? It, it seems haphazard more than the other sports because all the conferences each have their own uh, administration. It is. It, it has been to an extent, but it's been largely successful. I mean, they've had they've had to miss games, they've had to postpone games, or in some cases, cancel depending on the nature of the game scheduled. But I think the fact that they've been able to put out as many games as they have under these circumstances, and the games be as entertaining as they have, and relatively few consequences health wise for the players involved. I mean, we've had some positive tests, but I don't think that. At the high major level, we've had very many instances of of, of severe uh, repercussions of having tested positive for the virus. So I think they have to feel pretty good about what they've been able to do now. Uh, you look at the Big Ten, which just joined the party about three weeks ago, almost a month now, and they had one interrupt, one significant interruption with Wisconsin. But you know, they they put out some interesting uh, competition. The guys who clearly want to play are able to play. You know, the, the cynical side, and there has been a lot of that in the, in this circumstance, saying, you know, these guys are playing for nothing just, just so somebody can have a product on a TV network. But then you look at what happened in the Big Ten when they said, no, we're not going to play. And the players at Ohio State didn't want, you know, they didn't want that to stand, and the players at Nebraska didn't want that to stand. And they were able to successfully at least encourage the presidents of the Big Ten universities to take another look. I talked to a couple of the Ohio State players who opted back in, so to speak, after saying, okay, we're just going to train for the draft since there's no football, maybe take some online classes, but I'm not, I'm not going back to campus. 
And then it's, it, uh, one of them, uh, Wyatt Davis, told me the minute he heard, he bought his plane ticket back at, back to Columbus. He wanted that badly to be a part of this team. I think that's a good statement for college football. Will the Power Five conferences ever cede power to a central governing body? No. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about whether they would eventually leave the NCAA. And I always maintain that that what people don't understand is that right now they have all the power they want. Uh, they make their own rules. They They are enforced by the NCAA, but if they wanted to, change the way they're enforced they have almost they almost have the power to do that as well they certainly could agitate for it so there hasn't really been there there hasn't really been much motivation for them to change the way things are right now they keep all the football money that they that they generate and they make their own rules and then they get to be the dominant force in the very lucrative basketball term i think people don't ever sit down and think about the fact the ncaa basketball tournament makes a billion dollars for three weeks of action I'm not sure there's any property in American sports that is that on its own over you know per day so to speak per capita per day 21 days whatever it is is that lucrative a billion dollars for 3 weeks the, the the power 5 schools are smart enough they can count that and they usually wind up with a with the biggest chunk of it is college basketball going to pull it off I saw the duke announced that fans won't be at hammering and obviously, it's much tougher for basketball because it is indoors. Yeah, that's part of you know, it's part of, of why I think that the the um, the protocols for positive tests are so much more severe. Right now, a lot of the leagues say if you have a positive test on your team, your whole operation has to shut down for like three weeks. I'm not sure I necessarily go along with the need to be that severe when you're testing as regularly as they are. I think, for instance, uh, Michigan State. Uh, Tom Izzo announced yesterday that he's tested positive. I, I don't think Michigan State basketball needs to just completely shut down because of him. I think you find out, you know, you keep testing. Maybe you shut down for a few days, keep testing, find out uh, if there's any other uh, persons uh, or players or whatever that are affected by that. And then if they're not, then then you resume. I, I don't think you need to be a whole lot more severe than that. I, I don't think the nature of the sport is – is so much different than, say, football, which they get a positive test and they do what I'm talking about. You isolate the player, you, you contact trace the players who might have been in contact with them or the staff members, and then you go from there. I, I, I don't know that basketball necessarily needs to, do, uh, to go to the extremes they're talking about, and I think that's the one impediment in, 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 that, that gets in their way. The advantage they have, Mark, over the other sports – is that they don't start their season until November 25th, which is the day before Thanksgiving. Every college that is in school, that is on campus right now, almost virtually without exception, is saying sayonara to uh, every student on Thanksgiving, you know, Thanksgiving week and saying, we'll see you when, when you come back. Uh, you know, arrivederci, adios, uh, Aloha, we'll see you back in February, which means the campus is basically going, campuses are going to basically be empty. And that means less contact with students, less people to be around, maybe less instance of, of opportunities for them to, to come in contact with people who might have, might have contracted the virus themselves. I think that's a real advantage for basketball, and I think that they need to take maximum advantage of that. Uh, before we wrap it up, Mike, I want to talk Steelers for just a second. Do the Steelers feel like an 8-0 team? 
I mean, you are what your record is, but is there such a thing as a shaky 8 no? Well, no. I think there's. A, I think what one of the good things about uh, the 8 no is that they haven't played their best yet. I think we, we all know that. They have played you know, their first half against Tennessee, the whole game against Cleveland. I suppose you could say they have for those six quarters and then maybe the second quarter, uh, second half against Baltimore. They have been at an elite level. Uh, they have been elite in particular areas. Uh, no, okay, so their third down defense isn't great, but first in quarterback hits, first in sacks, first in hurries. I mean, they're, they're getting a lot done, and, and obviously teams aren't scoring a lot against them. So uh, as the offense continues to evolve, I think that's what you, what's exciting about them is that they still have a chance to get better, a lot better on offense. In, in, what, in, in the NFL in particular, what matters is you, you pile up wins and try to get a great seed and try to get home field advantage and all of that. And performance, you know, the beauty, so to speak, doesn't matter. Nobody's voting on whether you're the AP number one or number two. None of that really matters. If you keep collecting the wins necessary to get yourself in an advantageous seed and you address improvement as you go, then by the time you get to January football, then you have a chance to succeed. If, if it's about, uh, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you peak in October or early November or something like that, uh, you may impress a lot of people on the talk show circuit or the TV talk show circuit or whatever. But then when it comes to January, you don't have any more gears. So I think that that's, I think that's how, no, that, I'm not guaranteeing the Steelers get better offensively. I can't promise that. I just know that there's a lot of room for them to improve their running game, for them to maybe come up with some better schemes in their running game, for them to certainly throw the ball deep better. And well, Mike, for them to even commit have. to their running game. Uh, no, that, no, I, that's I, one I shortcoming I see. I mean, Connor had nine carries at Dallas. Yeah, because it wasn't working and they got behind and you want to win the game. I mean, they, they didn't play him in the second half. And I've heard, you know, I, I've heard other friends of ours who are also cover the Steelers complain about the fact that they did that but you know to my way of thinking i don't care if they go out there you know with golf clubs and tennis rackets you you're, you do whatever you can to win the game so it doesn't matter whether connor was out there in the second half the problem arose with a pretty um half-baked first half scheme to try to establish a running game maybe you know i, I it was interesting I heard Romo early in the – Tony Romo, the analyst for CBS, early in the game talk about them playing the 46 defense, the Bear defense that uh, worked for the Chicago Bears so well. And they hadn't done that before. And it's pretty obvious that they put that in for the Steelers. They told Romo they were going to play it. And the Steelers didn't have a counter for it. And the counter eventually came in the second half when they just said, okay, you want to play this? We'll isolate your linebackers on our, on our best wideouts and we'll, and we'll carve you up. And that's what happened. Mike, great stuff as always. I appreciate the insight. We'll talk again soon. Sounds great, Mark. Thank you. That's Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News, also a Liverpool fan. I always got to leave time to talk about Liverpool with Mike, but I did not today, which disappoints me and probably not any of you. Okay, we got Stan next hour. We want to keep talking about this Steelers COVID thing. Is anybody at fault? I think the minute McDonald showed up sick, Friday at practice with cold-like symptoms. You send him home and he doesn't get on the plane to Dallas. Better safe than sorry. Err on the side of caution. And the Steelers chose not to. And now Ben's on the COVID list.
But if he doesn't test positive between now and Saturday, he plays Sunday. 105.90X. Abby on the X. So. Tomorrow morning from 6 to 10. Yes, I just made a fart noise with my mouth. 105.9 The X. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Always great to hear from the lady callers. The X at 105.9. Steelers have joined Vance McDonald on the Steelers COVID list. Vance McDonald has tested positive. The others are merely considered close contacts with McDonald, namely Ben Roethlisberger, Vince Williams, Gerald Hawkins, and Jalen Samuels. Uh, If these players all test negative for COVID, between now and Saturday, they can practice Saturday, although that would be a walkthrough, and then they could play on Sunday. Tom had already said if Vince Williams and Ben are cleared, they're going to play. Now, if Ben can't play, Mason Rudolph is going to play. There's no debate about that, except maybe in some of your feeble minds. As soon as Ben gets put on the COVID list, a bunch of people tweeted, well, Duck should play. Duck's got the grit. Duck proved it last year. Yo, Duck should never again set foot on the field in the National Football League. He never should have in the first place. He is the worst quarterback to ever start a game in NFL history. Garrett Gilbert took all of one quarter to pass him up this past Sunday at Dallas. Uh, Rand Rudolph's the backup, so he plays. It's that simple. The next man up after that is Josh Dobbs. Duck is Dunzo. Maybe the Steelers should pick up Garrett Gilbert from Dallas or Gilbert Garrett or Gilbert Grape or Gilbert Gottfried. I hate when dudes have two first names. It's very confusing. It's very likely Ben plays, though, unless he actually has COVID, but so far he's tested okay, or we would certainly know about that. And if Ben has to play without practicing, that is certainly no big deal. It's like Tomlin said, Ben's been doing the job for 17 years. It's not like any of these decisions are up for grabs. If Ben tests okay, then he plays. If not, he doesn't. Coast to Coast brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. And by the law firm of Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman, they got your back and not your wallet. As I mentioned, this situation is fraught with irony because Ben has taken extreme precautions to avoid the situation, has fairly bragged to the media about those extreme precautions, and now Ben's screwed, however, temporarily because his buddy got it, Vance McDonald, and Ben sat next to him on a plane. Maybe Ben should take a private plane to road games from now on. Just him and the pilot. You know, the rest might do Ben and Vince Williams some good. Tomlin mentioned that today. Football players practice too much. 
as it is. In just 30 seconds, I'm going to give some more insight on this Steelers dance with COVID. And we've got Stan Saverin at the bottom of the hour. Unlike your calls, is anyone at fault for the Steelers colliding with COVID? I think so, but not to the point where I would go nuts about it. But I think the Steelers didn't play it safe, and now they're sorry. More about that in 30 seconds here on 105.9. Texting keywords for your shot at $1,000. Check out who's already got an extra grand from iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Kimberly from 